Welcome to the Ocean Hills Podcast. Our hope is that today's message would help you connect more deeply with God and with others. If you would like more information on what is happening in the Ocean Hills community, check out our website at oceanhills.org or download the Ocean Hills app. If you are encouraged by our ministry and would like to partner with us financially, you can give through your mobile device by texting Ocean Hills to 77977. We hope you enjoy this message. All right, we are in a, a series that's uh, just a, in one chapter. We're not doing the whole book of Second Peter. We're doing chapter one. And uh, we've been in, in this several weeks. And this week we're looking at verses 8, 9, 10, and 11. So the first several weeks we've been in verses 1 through 8. Today we're going to look at Second uh, Peter 1, 8 through 11. Before we jump into it, um, I want to ask you a question. Are you flourishing or are you floundering are you flourishing or are you floundering now let me let me let me bring it in closer let's just talk physically physically your physical health are you floundering or are you flourishing and how would you know you tell me if I'm having Snickers bars and Twinkies for dinner and drinking Diet Coke for breakfast and I don't exercise and I get two hours of sleep a night, am I flourishing or am I floundering? Say it out loud. Floundering. floundering. We, we, that, that'd be kind of obvious, right? Uh, there's something about physically that you drink a lot of water, you get enough sleep, you eat healthy, you exercise and keep your body moving. It's like we know that, I think. Does anybody not know that? that that's just kind of... Physically, physical health 101. But what about um, financially? Are you flourishing or are you floundering? And how would you know? How would you know? I'm going to tell you how you know. If you're spending more money than you make, you're floundering. Can I get an amen? amen. Do you agree with that? It's not healthy to spend more money than you make. That's called floundering. But if you live within your means, if you save and if you give, Dave Ramsey says we should live on 80%, we should save 10%, and we should give away 10% of our income every year. I would say if you're living that way, you're flourishing. It's not a legalism. It's not like beat yourself up if you're not doing that. But maybe that's a goal. Maybe that's something to go, I want to be financially fit. That would be something to aim for. What about relationally? Floundering? or flourishing in your most important relationships with your parents, with your kids, with your spouse, your husband, your wife, with maybe your one or two handful of closest friends if you have them. Are you feeling connected? Are you having conversations that are real? Are you in touch? Are you avoiding? Those of you that are married, I'll give, you a quick, uh, I'll give you a quick how to discern whether you're flourishing or floundering. I share this at, at most weddings uh, that I officiate. It's research based on 50 years. John Gottman says, couples that are flourishing, not floundering, after 10, 20, 30, 40 years, they say yes to each other over 90% of the time. They say yes to each other. Those that are floundering, they say 
yes to each other less than 30%. That's so simple. Are you saying yes when your wife says, hey, let's go out to dinner and on a date. No, I want to watch the game. Uh, you're floundering. Uh, <laughs> hey, can I'll tell you what, this happened in my home. My wife says, hey, can you take the trash out? I said, I didn't, this was when I was early married, just to, just to, just to, just to qualify. She said, hey, can you take the trash out? I'm like, you saw it first, why don't you take it out? That's called floundering and ducking, all right? <laughs> but, you know, as a general rule, when your spouse makes a bid to connect, to do something together, to be together, to create an us, a togetherness, yes builds us. Yes builds togetherness. Same thing in friendship. Same thing in family. Say yes. Say yes, say yes, say yes. So flourish. Now, what about spiritually? Let's get to spiritual. Are you flourishing? Are you floundering? And how would you know? Well, 2 Peter chapter 1, it's really this whole chapter helps us to see, discover, understand, clarify whether or not we are flourishing or floundering. Let me read for us uh, verses 8 through 11 of chapter 1. The more you grow like this, five words or six words, the more you grow like this, like what? like the first seven verses that we've been talking about the last several weeks. So, so go back in your Bible and you look and you go, grow, the more you grow like what? Like this. Well, what is this? Well, he gives us, you know, adding, making every effort to add to our faith, moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, and agape love. When you're growing like this, when you're becoming, remember our word for discipleship, becoming. When you are becoming like this, you're flourishing. But you flip that upside down and you say, I, I'm not very loving. I actually have a nasty streak in me. I'm mean. I'm a bully. I'm controlling. I'm trying to fix and change everybody around me. I have very little self-control. Behind closed doors, I get really ticked and I throw things or I scream and I'm out of control. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, there, there's, there's, there's something wrong with that picture. I want you to know that. God's saying, it's just what we sang. He loves us as we are, but then he wants to transform us. He wants to work in our lives so that we become new people, different people. And so verses 8 through 11 say, the more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop, that's called people development, those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their old sins. And so, verse 10, dear brothers and sisters, now, you want to underline these two words, work hard, work hard, work hard. What? It takes effort? Work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. You might just write in the column, believing is only the beginning. 
The subtitle of this sermon series, Believing is Only the Beginning. I got saved, but I'm a jerk. Yeah, that doesn't work. Work hard to become the person that God dreams for you to become. A loving person. Great at loving others. Work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. And then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're going to walk through these from floundering to flourishing spiritually in Christ. Three little reflections. People that are flourishing, they have a growing fruitfulness in their life. I know when I'm growing in fruitfulness, in these character qualities that we've read about that, that, that are listed here in 2 Peter chapter 1, when those become more evident in my life, we call that fruit, fruit of the Spirit, uh, it's saying that I'm growing. I'm actually maturing. Spiritual maturity isn't about, I've, I've been going to church for 30 years. Spiritual maturity is I'm becoming a more loving person. That's the mark of maturity. It's love. It's not I memorized Psalm 23. Great. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. I was at a, a birthday for a friend of mine. He had like 15 of us show up at 6.30 in the morning in front of the Biltmore just this week. And we worshiped together. And we sang. he just said, I just want to say thank you for being in my life and helping me become more like Jesus. And he gave each of us a gift, and there was an inscription on the gift, and it was this, this verse right here, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience. When God's working in your life, you're becoming a more patient person. Kindness. You're becoming a kinder person, goodness, faithfulness, reliable, trustworthy person, gentleness, not harsh, gentleness, and self-control. Don't you want to be more? That? That's the spirit of Jesus. That's what Jesus was like. And followers of Jesus follow Jesus. So that's what we're aiming to say, God. Would you produce that in me? I referred to this Erwin McManus quote. I'm going to read it for you. He says, one of the wonderful side effects of following Jesus is that you get better at living. Following Jesus, actually, you get better at living and loving others. Why not aim towards him? Make him the passionate pursuit of your life. That's why you were created, to know God, to love God. So what's the secret? How do we do that? How do we become this incredible fruit of the Spirit? How does that grow in us? Think about a tree and fruit. You know, you don't have a tree just going, I'm going to try really hard to produce an apple. It doesn't work that way. The branch stays connected to the, to the vine and the roots. And Jesus talked about that in John 15. He said this, remain in me, meaning stay connected to me. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed 
disconnected from the vine. And you, just put your name in there. Just write your name right there. And you, John, you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That's one of the iconic verses in the New Testament, words of Jesus. The closer you remain connected to Christ, the better you will get at living and loving. And so, of course, some of you are sitting there thinking, how do I stay connected? How do I remain? How do I stay close to God? And for those of you that are maybe newer in the faith, there's a, there, there, there's a kind of a category. We call them spiritual disciplines. Think of it as spiritual habits or practices. If you're an athlete, you know, there's th- certain things that you practice. Last week I talked about golf, and I don't practice, and I'm not very good, right? And so thinking about spiritual disciplines, they create, listen to this, they create the capacity for us to hear and learn from God so that he can transform us, so that he can transform us into the likeness of Jesus Christ. I'm going to read it again. Spiritual disciplines create the capacity for us to hear and learn from God. Why? So that he can transform us into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And so there's outward disciplines, there's inward disciplines. I'm not going to read them all out, but think about it. An inward discipline is prayer, talking to God. Scripture, meditation, reflecting and chewing on Scripture, thinking about it, studying it. Uh, Service would be an outward discipline. When you serve in O-Kids, when you serve as a small group leader, this is a spiritual practice, a discipline. It actually helps you grow closer to God, to hear His voice, to learn from Him, so to become like Him. Now, here's, here's what I want you to hear. If you read your Bible, but you're not hearing or learning, and you, I read it, and, I, and, and then I go and I yell and scream at my wife, and I throw dishes at her, I, does that make sense? Quit reading your Bible if that's what it's making you do, right? It's like, no, 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 no. The Bible and reading Scripture is to transform us so that we hear God saying, I want you to be generous. I want you to be kind. I want you to lean on me for strength to to love a person that's really annoying and really difficult and challenging to love. See, that's, that's what this is instructing us in how to live. And if you serve, I told the O-Kids people, leaders this this morning, if you serve in O-Kids and you hate it and you're bitter and you're like, I hate kids, but they, want me to, they just want me to do it and I'm supposed to do it, stop that craziness. We don't want you with our kids in there. Find, find another place to serve. Find another, every one of us needs to be serving, an outward expression of loving others and serving others. That's part of what it means to follow Jesus. That's how he lived. He showed his disciples the full extent of his love when he washed their feet. He served them. All of us need to be serving. So there are these wonderful, terrific practices, disciplines 
Dallas Willard reminds us, you know, these disciplines aren't about earning salvation. They're not a checklist of things to do so somehow God loves me more. Listen to this quote. Dallas Willard writes, God is not opposed to effort. Stop right there. Remember in, in this chapter, 2 Peter 1, make every effort. God's not opposed to effort. He is opposed to earning. Do you know the difference? I'm doing this so I earn God's love. No, 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 no. God already loves you. You're doing this as an expression, as a response of gratitude, of thanks, saying, God, you love me. Now I want to live a life of love. God is not opposed to effort. He's opposed to earning. Our efforts make a difference in how quickly we become like Jesus. Three books. Some of you that are novices, some of you that are like, where do I start? How do I do it? Three books. They're on the screen. When I graduated from college, my youth pastor gave me Celebration of Discipline. Yeah, it's been around that long, by Richard Foster. And he said, you've now graduated from the academic disciplines. It's now time for you to enter into the spiritual disciplines of growing and maturing. If you've never read that book, I, I would just, you got to read that book. But the second one, too, uh, I read, I don't know, seven or eight years ago, Sacred Rhythms by Ruth Haley Barton. Really a winner. Great read. And then the final one, uh, maybe the most entry-level one, for those of you that are like, dude, I need an on-ramp for like, if you went to Cal State Hayward like me, you know, if you need, if you need that entry-level book, you're going to read The Life You Always Wanted, The Life You Always Wanted by John Ortberg, okay? Those books are going to help you get a grasp of what we're talking about this morning. Let me, let, let me just share one story about this. It's kind of an embarrassing story. And I was wondering, should I share it? Should I not? Sometimes I get on the platform and I'm like, oh gosh, I'm going to have 50 people come up to me after and give me advice. But don't do that. Just, just let God speak to you through this story. <laughs> so last night, I'm with my sister, Jill. She goes, hey, let's go for an ocean swim. So the two of us, you know, it's so fun to have a sister in town that you really love and enjoy, and we love to hang out together. So we went for an ocean swim in front of the Biltmore last night. And I have a wetsuit that is sleeveless. You call it a Farmer John wetsuit, right? You, you, you get the image. And so we went out, we swam, and it was awesome. And we, we come back in, and we're standing at her car, and we're taking our wetsuits off, drying and changing. And as I'm taking off this Farmer John, the reflection in the window bunch of rolls under here like flabbiness I was like what the heck and I said to my sister I'm like what happened to me there's no definition where's the muscle it's like I didn't have it it's like I saw it for the first time so not that there's anything evil about that but here's how we think I thought, I'm going home, and I'm going to get rid of that by doing 500 pull-ups tonight. That'll solve it. I'll just do 500 pull-ups tonight, and, and, and that'll deal with that. Would it? No. How, how do I get definition under here? How do I develop muscle? Are they called lats? Is that what they're called? How, how, how do I develop that? It's not doing 500 pull-ups in one day. 
It's by probably doing five minutes of exercises that affect that every day or every other day for 500 days. Am I right? Some of us approach spiritual growth. We binge on church. Oh, man, I sinned last night. I better go to church, all five services. Man, I'm, I'm going to Ocean Hills, then I'm going to go to Reality, then I'm going to jump over to Santa Barbara Community, and I'm going to do it all in one day, and I'm going to grow. doesn't work that way. I'm going to read my Bible from Genesis through Revelation this weekend. That'll do it. Will it? No. Baby steps, exercises, practices, day after day. Five minutes, ten minutes. Quiet, listening, inviting God to speak to you. Opening up a psalm and just reading it, reflecting on it for a few minutes each day. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. And there will be fruit in your life. There will be definition in your soul, muscle, spiritual muscle that you'll develop. Now, don't body shame me after church. Okay. <laughs> Second reflection. Those that are flourishing rather than floundering, they have a fresh perspective on forgiveness. Look at verse 9. Those who fail to develop in this way, Peter says, you know what? You're short-sighted. You're blind forgetting that you've been cleansed from your old sins. I don't want to be short-sighted. I don't want to be blind. So what do I need to do? I need to remember that I'm forgiven, cleansed, cleansed by my sins. Here's what I wrote in my notes. Forgiven people are invited to live as free people. Forgiven people are invited to live as free people. People, free from my past, free from guilt, free from shame, free from bitterness, free from resentment, free to love and serve others, free to live this way generously, not this way in hoarding. Free. Forgiven people forgive others. Forgiven people forgive others. That's the fresh perspective God gives us. When we remember that we've been forgiven. Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, it says it so clearly. Make allowance for each other's faults. What? I don't want to do that. The Bible says that. Make allowance. Make room for. There's some elasticity here. It's not in or out. Oh, I heard what you did. You're out of the church. No, it's not that. We are a community of grace. We're a community of second chances. We're a community that says, I'm going to help pick you up. I'm not just calling you out. I'm actually going to call you up and lift you up. I love Bob Goff's thing. Don't hold, Bob Goff says, don't hold me accountable. Hold me close. Hold me close. Forgiven people forgive people. Make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you. So you, what's that next word? So you what? Must. Not, so you, you ought to pray about it. You ought to maybe think about it. No, you must forgive others. This is a command. This is the way of God that will set you free. When, you're, when you live and you choose, it's not a feeling. I never feel like forgiving someone. If you're waiting to feel that, that's never going to happen. It's a choice. Andy Stanley, pastor back east, this is what he wrote. I love this quote. In the shadow of my hurt, 
Forgiveness feels like a decision to reward my enemy. But in the shadow of the cross, meaning remembering that I'm forgiven, in the shadow of the cross, forgiveness is merely a gift from one undeserving soul to another. You're flourishing, not floundering, when you choose to forgive those who hurt you, who wound you. When you're fixated on getting back, getting even, fixated on seeing them fail, when you're avoiding them, you see them at church, you're like, man, I'm out of here, I'm, I'm, I don't want to... That's, that's a terrible way to live. Forgiven people are freed up. We make a choice to forgive. And we, have, we can't do that on our own. It's the power of Christ, His Spirit within us. And then here's the third one. People that are flourishing, they have a deep assurance. A deep assurance of what? Of salvation. That, that God has chosen me. God loves me. God's forgiven me. And I choose to believe that. The Bible says I've crossed over from death to life. Over and over again, Scripture says, when I choose to put my faith, my trust in Christ, that I'm saved. Salvation means now I'm connected from God or connected to God. Before I open my life to him, I'm disconnected from God. But when I open my life to him, the Bible says he comes into my life. He forgives me and he fills me with his spirit. It's it's a new life. Look at verses 10 and 11. Work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. And then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom. That idea of an eternal kingdom means God is in charge. The kingdom of God is wherever God is in charge. God is ruling and reigning. And if you get into deeper theology and eschatology, there's a kind of the phrase that we use is now and not yet. He is in charge. He's ruling now. If you're a follower of Jesus in your heart, in your life, he's ruling. He's master. He's, the word Lord means master, meaning I'm following him. He's the CEO of my life. He's in the driver's seat, and I'm responding to what he is calling me and inviting me to live. Does that make sense? This kingdom stuff is now here on earth as it is in heaven. That's why Jesus prayed it. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Come now, Lord. Be in charge. Rule in my life. Help me to be and live this way that you're teaching me. And then the not yet is, is that The Bible teaches over and over again that one day God will restore earth. There will be a new heaven and earth. We call it heaven, right? We call it eternal life. But eternal life is both here now to be experienced and then, not yet, but then in the afterlife. And that's something to look forward to. So what's this work hard to prove that you really are? What does that mean? I'm going to just share a story that I... I'm actually, I, I read it in Barclay's commentary. Those of you that, that uh, love William Barclay, he's a great scholar. But he said this. This is the way he, he couched it to explain what we're talking about here. Imagine, um, imagine an inner city, poor inner city woman who's 17 years old, gra- is graduating from high school with straight A's but has no money and really wants to go to Harvard. How's she going to get into Harvard? You know, she's got to write the essay, she's got to, but she's got, to, she's got to know somebody, you know. She's going to kind of be invisible. So, she's got, so she goes to one of those college nights at her high school, and she meets 
an alumni who actually happens to be the son of the president of Harvard. And he takes a liking to her. And he says, you know what, I'm going to sponsor you. I'm going to get you admitted, and I'm going to pay your way. Could you imagine that? And I'm going to pay your way. And that happens. And now she enters Harvard University. She got admission, and she got it all paid for. And now she can just float. She doesn't have to work, right? She's in Harvard. Or no. How is she going to graduate from Harvard? The girl's got some work ahead of her, am I right? And I think sometimes we think, I'm saved. I'm admitted into heaven. That's it. Well, 2 Peter's saying, no, you got to work hard at becoming. You got, you got entered in, but, but you, you, you want to become the person that God wants you to become? That takes effort. That takes hard work. That takes spiritual disciplines and practices. It's not to earn salvation. It's a reflection that, hey, man, I am so thankful. I am so privileged. I got into Harvard. I'm going to work hard to get my diploma. Does that make sense to you? Some of you, you're like, I got my admission, and now I'm just going to party, man. I'm not here for a long time. I'm here for a good time. <laughs> so believing is only the beginning. Believing is only the beginning. I'm going to have the band come up. Believing is only the beginning. I hope, I hope, I pray something's connecting, something's resonating, something's clicking. What we're talking about matters. I'm going to invite you to stand with me. Sometimes it's good to to just affirm our faith, you know, for centuries there, there was the Apostles' Creed, at least for decades. I don't even know how long the, old the Apostles' Creed is. But they, you know, in a lot of churches, they affirm the Apostles' Creed to affirm your faith. There, there are some of you here that have never taken that step. You know, Jesus said you must be born spiritually. Born again means to be born spiritually. We celebrated my daughter's 26th birthday this week, October 3rd. She was born physically. We go, whoa, that's her birth certificate. But you know, the Bible says you also are to be born spiritually. There's a spiritual birth that happens, an awakening that happens. I wonder if you could say, I, I have been born spiritually. I know my spiritual birth date when that happened, or at least I know that I'm alive spiritually. Maybe today you're, you're here going, I don't know, but I want assurance. I want to know. I don't want to be laying in bed going, am I? Am I not? Am I? What? Today you affirm your faith. You open your life to Christ. The Bible says he forgives you. He comes into your life by that spirit that's going to produce fruit in your life. So let's affirm together, whether this is your first time praying a prayer or maybe for some of you, you've been doing this for 50 years. I, I just put a little affirmation prayer on the screen. A prayer of new life. Let's do this in unison together. You can whisper it. You can say it out loud. You can say it under your breath. Ready? Jesus, I believe you. Jesus, I receive you. Jesus, I want to follow you. And it's that last line. Believing is only the beginning. Following is directional. Before you re-enter your day, we hope that you will take just a few moments to pause and respond to what God has put on your heart through this message. 
Thank you again for listening to the Ocean Hills podcast. For access to more sermons, visit the Watch and Listen page on OceanHills.org or find them on the Ocean Hills app.